0: and uh, that you'll fall more in love with God, more in love with his word, and more in love with people. Would you please stand with me for the reading of God's word? Jesus said in the book of Matthew to his disciples, in chapter 10, verse 16, He said, Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves, but beware of men, for they will deliver you up to the councils and they will scourge you in their synagogues, and ye shall be brought before governors and kings for my sake, for a testimony against them and the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, take no thought how or what ye shall speak. For it shall be given to you in the same hour what ye shall speak. For it is not ye that speak, but the Spirit of your Father which speaketh in you. We'll see this very passage played out this morning in Acts chapter 4. Now let's pray real quick. God, thank you so much for your word. God, we understand that it is really nothing that we can do, it's beneficial. For you are your kingdom void of your spirit. So we ask that you would move in our midst and in our hearts. God, I ask that you would speak through me now. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. If I'm honest, um, this message this morning was born out of a devotion um, that I did at a, a Bible class in one of our um, local Christian schools. Um, about two weeks ago now, and uh, it was it was during my preparations for this devotion that I began to realize um, I'm basically an apostle <laughs> Okay, now I understand that that might sound a little braggadocious, but stick with me because I promise you it's much stupider than it appears um, in Acts chapter 3, though, you see two disciples, Peter and John, they're walking into the temple about the hour of prayer. The Bible tells us um, the ninth hour. And as they're walking in, um, uh, they see that there is a lame man there. And so I understand that your kids call you lame because um, your jokes are cheesy um, but the Bible's not saying that this dude isn't cool. It's just saying that he cannot walk, and the fact that he can't walk has apparently affected his ability to work. So he's resorted to begging for money at the temple gate. And so as they're walking in, they they pass this uncool fella on the stairs, and they ask him, or they ask um, Peter and John for money. And you may remember his response in verse six. It's kind of a famous passage. Peter responds with silver and gold, have I none? Much like the disciples, I too am broke. (laughs) Basically an apostle. But the similarities actually abound. See, if you go on in the passage, you read that go into the temple and it's not long before they're arrested. Now listen, I get that that's a feat easily achieved by many these days. It's not that hard to get yourself arrested if you really put your mind into it. But they upped it, Annie. You see, by chapter five, they're actually arrested for the exact same thing two times in two days by the exact same people. And that's when I began to realize another apostolic similarity, an epiphany, if you will, came over me. I once was pulled over at a middle of nowhere intersection in Louisa County called Zion's Crossroads. Perhaps you're familiar, it doesn't matter. Twice, though, in two days by the exact same cop. (laughs) Basically an apostle. (laughs) Only difference is, is that I'm just dumb. They were bold. Right? And that's really what I want to talk to us about this morning. Right? And maybe a little bit more specifically, like being bold um, in the face of persecution. And this is a pretty important topic for us, because not only did Jesus tell his disciples that they could be sure it was coming, but Paul told Timothy that anyone who lived godly in Christ Jesus, as we'll see this passage a little bit later in our message, um, anyone who lives godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Right? In fact, historians tell us that within the first decade of the church's life, Um, There are at least five outbreaks of persecution. And it all starts with the Jerusalem church in Acts chapter 4. Within the first three centuries of the church, historians point out ten separate waves of persecutions of major proportions by the different dominating world powers at the time. And during these waves, the persecutions, the punishments, um, were both cruel and bizarre. We read of some being sewn into the skins of animals and fed to hungry dogs. We read of others that are dipped in wax and then lit on fire to serve as torches to illuminate parties in the garden at night. Some were beheaded, some impaled on bulls, the horns of bulls. Some even pulled limb from limb. But persecution didn't cease after the first three centuries of the church. It carried on. It went on from there. And honestly, it will always go on. Right? It will always happen because the prince of the power of this world, Satan, is always after those who genuinely confess Christ. Right? So that's why today it's estimated that there's over 100 million professing Christians who are under persecution. However, admittedly, there are seasons when it seems to be a bit more and seasons um, when it's a, a little less. Right? There are seasons when it's deadly and seasons when it's merely social. Sometimes it's lethal, others it's psychological. Sometimes it's disdain or rejection. It may be um, as overt or obvious as bombing Christians and blowing them to bits. And it may be as subtle as alienating or shunning someone or being unwilling to give them respect or a job or some sort of social acceptance. That is the line that we follow in our country today. That is the line that persecution Follows for us, right? But it has an effect, right? It has a real effect. In fact, I'm not sure that it wouldn't be better if there was somebody, um, you know, in the general sense of the church. That it wouldn't be better for the church if there was somebody actually killing Christians, because believers stand up in that environment and they're often emboldened. But what happens in our line of persecution, however? Through alienation, it often produces compromise that weakens the church. It steals the believer's testimony as they try to accommodate the hostility of the world. That's why last week, Pastor Greg, he, he preached to us a message simply entitled, Walk Worthy. Right? And his message was born out of Paul's letter to the Ephesian church. Right, And in this, Paul spends the first three chapters of his letter and he's hashing out the benefits of the gospel. And really, I think that Ephesians 1, verse 5 is, is filled with so many theological impl- implications that it would serve as a great, um, a great summary verse for the point that Paul's trying to lay out in the first few chapters of the letter. And if you're unfamiliar, it says this. In Ephesians um, chapter 1, verse 5, it says, Having predestined us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. Now, I understand, predestined us. A lot of Baptists cringe a little at those words, right? I know that we tend to shy away from that word right there and And listen, I know that there's huge theological implications that surround um, that idea there. And I'm not going to change your mind this morning. I'm not going to solve a thousands-year-old debate here in our short time. I'm not smart enough to do so anyways. Um, But regardless of which side of that fence that you sit on, right, the, the truth that nobody can argue about predestination is that if you have placed your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ, you were chosen by God. Right, listen, and Paul says that he chose you, and he chose you to be adopted into his family, right, to be his children. And the adoption fees have been paid in full by the blood of Jesus Christ. And Paul says that he did it according to the good pleasure of his will. That means that he wanted you. Right, you it's not some dodgeball game. You weren't the last one that nobody picked. He wanted you, therefore he chose you and he adopted you to be his very own. And as one of the king's kids, this comes with a few perks. You've been saved by grace. You've been redeemed by the blood. You've been sealed by the Holy Spirit, resurrected by Jesus. And now we've been reconciled to God, right? And as Paul told the church in Corinth, we are now ministers of that very same reconciliation, ambassadors of Christ entrusted with the gospel. And as ambassadors of the gospel, Paul says that we need to walk worthy of that calling. Right? And that's why it's important that we endeavor to be bold in the face of persecution so that we don't compromise and we can continue to walk worthy as ambassadors. So when we pick up in our text this morning, we're going to find two ordinary ambassadors walking into the temple. Now, they are ordinary in the sense that they have no formal training. Right? They've not been trained in the Scriptures. They've not sat under Gamaliel as Paul did. Um, they, They had not gone to rabbi school or Bible college or the seminary of the day. But Psalms 37 verse 20 says that the steps of a good man are ordained by the Lord. Maybe your version says the steps of a righteous man even are ordained by the Lord. So while they're ordinary dudes by trade and perhaps ordinary because they too were broke, right? they are about to be used by God in an extraordinary way once again because ordinary steps that they're about to take are ordained by an extraordinary God just as yours are. I wonder what God could do through our lives if we lived each day like that. Acts chapter 3, verse 1. It says, Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which was called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple. Who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked alms. And Peter fastened his eyes on him, upon him with John, and he said, Look at us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. If you're familiar with this story, man, this miracle, it draws all sorts of attention. Right? The people that are in the courtyard and around the temple at that time, they begin to to gather in. Right and, and and they're gathering in in astoundment in amazement. Right, this man who's been crippled at birth for his entire life—he's been lame. We're told—is now walking. And so, with this guy as the mother of all sermon illustrations, Peter begins to preach the gospel. Right, he begins to preach the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Verse, chapter four, verse one, it says, "And as they spake unto the people." The priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and they put a hold on them until the next day, for it was even tide. Had they been diplomats, they could have pleased everybody. But their ambassadors... And as ambassadors, we cannot serve two masters. This is the first recorded persecution of the church. Post-Jesus' time on this earth. See, this extraordinary miracle, it invites the eyes of the watching world. Right? And the establishment doesn't like it. Thus, the Great Commission begins to um, draw great persecution. When Peter preached the gospel, um, Acts 4, 2 says that there was some, there was priests, captains of the guard, the temple, or captains of the temple, and the Sadducees were greatly grieved. Right? They were greatly distressed. They were disturbed, as it were. The gospel often has that effect. See, what happens when we open our mouth, we proclaim Jesus Christ, we are taking the broad stroke of the world that says, listen, everybody's pretty good. Right? Everybody will find their own way to heaven. Right? Like, listen, it's all the same God anyways. And we take that broad stroke and we narrow it down to one very narrow path in Christ alone. That's going to disturb some people. Right? It goes against normalcy. Perhaps that's why Paul told Timothy... Right, in 2 Timothy 3.12, he said, yea, all um, that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Now, this is an interesting verse, right, that Paul writes to his apprentice, all that live godly in Christ Jesus. If, If you're not suffering persecution, then you must not be living godly in Christ Jesus. Because the Bible promises that everyone who does Will. It's not my words, that's what thus saith the Lord. Right, Peter and John are arrested for preaching the resurrection. Now notice with me again just who it was they ticked off. Acts 4 verse 1, it says, And as they spake unto the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them. The Sadducees. And the four Gospels outline the life of Christ, right? And who do we read about typically in the four Gospels? The primary enemy of Christ was the Pharisees, right? But now that Jesus has been crucified, he's risen from the dead, and the church has been born, the Pharisees are no longer the primary enemy. The Sadducees are. Right? The Sadducees are mad in part because verse 13 tells us that two untrained, unschooled, ordinary fishermen came into their temple, their environment, preaching the word of God. And they're also mad because they preach the resurrection from the dead. The Sadducees were the ruling upper class, a very aristocratic, right? Blue blooded um, Jews, right? They controlled all that went on in the temple, including the high priesthood. They were often very, very political, right? They often sided with the Roman government because Rome had begun appointing um, and deposing some of the high priests, right? They wanted to get on the best side of the political engine that was Rome, right? Not to disturb the peace. Right? They love their status, thus they loved their status quo. <clears throat> because they benefited from the favor of the Roman government. So the whole idea of a Messiah, Jesus, coming, right? and the disturbance that was around Jesus wasn't too exciting for them. They, they in fact, actually believed that they were already in the Messianic era. Right? They believed that the Messianic era started in 167 B.C., right? at the time of the Maccabean Revolt. Right, when Judas Maccabeus revolted against the Syrians who had taken over Judea. Right, they believed that that was the messianic error because it, it involved a physical deliverance from their enemies. Right, theologically speaking, they didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in miracles. They didn't believe in a spirit world. They, in fact, only believed in the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch. Right, the, the rest of the scriptures... Um, to them was just commentary on the first five books. And since there is no mention of the resurrection in the first five books, they didn't believe in the resurrection either. So now you have these people come into their temple preaching something that went against their beliefs. Imagine taking 3,000 of your Christian friends and walking into a mosque this morning preaching the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I mean, they're mad, right? They're mad, and rightly so, and, and they saw no hope in life after death. Can you imagine living that way, right? Being um, very religious, but you don't see any hope in life after physical death, and that is why pastor always reminds us that they were sad, you see. <laughs> Acts 4, verse 1, it says, And as they spake unto the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them, and they put them in hold until the next day, for it was now eventide. Howbeit, many of them which heard the word believed. And the number of men was about 5,000. See, when you share the gospel, right when you proclaim um, Jesus Christ, There will be some that are going to be greatly disturbed, right? Some that may seek to have you persecuted or canceled. But not everybody will, right? See, Jesus told us that some of the seed will fall upon good soil. It's not all going to get carried away. It doesn't all wither, right? It's not all going to get choked out. Some falls upon the good soil, and as it does, it begins to take root, and a good root will also bear fruit. And that's why we read that um, there were now... um, 3,000, and now it went to 5,000, right? So we read that even though they're taken into custody, right, that many believed. And and the fact that the writer of Acts, Luke, he even tells us the number of believers, and it went from 3,000, right, at the beginning of Acts, now to 5,000, which also tells us that, listen, it may seem super spiritual for us to say all the time that we're not worried about numbers, but somebody here was. Right, And this also means that the church is exploding. It's no longer a novelty. 5,000 was just the men. Listen, male chauvinistic or whatever, I mean, I'm not here to argue that. That's just the way they counted. It doesn't include women or adolescents or children. I mean, this could have been 10,000, maybe even 20,000 believers at this point. Right, the church is exploding. It's now a major threat to the, the Jewish religious system. Right, I mean, if we have thousands of people that's congregating in the name of Jesus Christ in the temple courtyard, right, of the establishment of someone you, in the name of someone you just crucified for being an imposter. You just crucified him as a false messiah. This isn't good, right? They have to react, but it's evening time when they're taking um, when they're taken into custody. Thus, verse 5 says, And it came to pass on the morrow that their rulers and elders and scribes, and Annas the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and as many as were kindred of the high priest were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked them, By what power or by what name have ye done this? And so listen, while the gospel greatly disturbed the Sadducees, um, who were the ones who originally had them arrested, the very next day, um, they're actually bought forth. They're, they're bought to sit amongst a group known as the Sanhedrin. This would have been made up of 70 different individuals plus one, the high priest, right? An odd number, 71. So that way we have a tiebreaker if it comes down to a tie. We have a tie-breaking vote. Deuteronomy 13 tells us that they were charged with the responsibility of protecting the Jewish faith, right? That that meant that they would examine every new believer and every new teaching that would enter into the land. So the Sanhedrin's question of Peter and John was legal, responsible even, their duty. But it was also loaded, right? They were probably standing there with rock in hand. By what name, by what authority have you done this? We have all the authority. We've already said he was a false messiah, an imposter. Say, Jesus, I'll throw this rock right now. This is a loaded question. <clears throat> I want you to notice with me real quick a few of the names that are mentioned at the council. First, we see Annas in Caiaphas. Annas um, was not the current high priest. He was a one-time high priest, though. However, um, even though he... He wasn't the current high priest, Caiaphas, his son-in-law was. He had the power because he still had the influence. See, they were both Sadducees, which politically speaking often aligned with the Romans. In 6 AD, um, Quirinius of of Syria appointed Annas as the high priest of the Jewish nation. But Annas was deposed after serving for only eight or nine years in 15 AD. And he was deposed um, by a fellow named Valerius Gratus. In fact, if you've seen the movie Ben-Hur, maybe maybe you remember. The Romans who controlled the land, they had the power. Thus, they they would take out high priests of Judaism, which goes a little bit against the norm. It's not very normal because in the Old Testament, if you were a high priest, you were a high priest for life, right? As the son of Aaron, you lived out your life um, in that role. Once you died, then they would replace you. But Valerius Gratus was up for sale. Right, And so he would take a bribe about once a year, and then he would replace the high priest. It was political. <clears throat> so all the Jews still revered, re- revered Annas. Right, He had the power because he still had the influence as the older. Right? And in fact, if you recall, it was Annas who, who they took Jesus to once they arrested him. They took him to Annas first before they even took him to Caiaphas. But Annas was also in control of the, the business of the temple. Right? That's why when we, we see Annas, who's greatly disturbed, he's greatly grieved or ticked off when Jesus comes in and he overturns the table of the money changers because it hid him right in his wallet. Now, Peter and John are in the midst of this same Annas and Caiaphas and council. Right? It's an official meeting of the Sanhedrin. They're standing for the same council that condemned Jesus to die just months before. The last time, Peter was outside warming himself in the courtyard at a fire. Now he's face to face with the very same counsel that condemned the Savior to die. Verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, Ye rulers of the people and the elders of Israel, if we this day be examined of the good deed that we have done to the impotent man, Just a little underhanded jab there. If we this day have been unjustly arrested for doing something good, he says, by what means he has been made whole, be it known unto you and to all the people of Jesus, or to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, that's bold, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand before uh, here before you whole. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders. That's bold. Which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. But what God, or but what they meant for evil, God has used for good. You understand, if you were to sit back and you were to say, like like the Sanhedrin, the 70 most powerful men in all the land, or some of the most powerful men in all the land, they're lost. These guys need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. How can I get before them and preach the word of God? How can I preach this message to these powerful, powerful people? Being arrested and having to stand before them might be the only way. steps of a good man are or ordained by God, right? But his message, it not only proclaims Jesus to these lost uh, members of the Sanhedrin, it also rejects their authority, right? From the Sadducees all the way down to the Supreme Court of Israel, right? And the high priests. Remember, they're the ones who unanimously voted and condemned Jesus um, to death as an apostle. So not only is their, their message rejecting that verdict, right? And their authority, but they're proclaiming Jesus to be the Messiah, And they're also preaching the resurrection from the dead from the very ones whom had Jesus murdered. This isn't kangaroo court either, man. These dudes are for real. This took some boldness. I mean, real, like authentic, like only by the power of the one who lives inside of me boldness. Boldness. This wasn't an anomaly, this wasn't some miraculous like one-time act of bravery. This, this had quickly become a way of life for them. Well, I mean, if we read on, they're, they're threatened, they're released, and just one chapter later they're arrested again, then set free miraculously by an angel, and then arrested again before the Sanhedrin can even gather to meet the next morning. They're standing up, preaching in the temple, and they're arrested and beaten. This this was a way of life. This quickly became a, a way of life. So so what changed in them? Saint Peter wasn't always this way. Less than a month ago, he he as Jesus stood before the same council, he's outside warming himself by a fire, denying Jesus Christ to a servant girl. Right now, Peter isn't outside the courtyard of the high priest, like warming himself by a fire. Now he's, he's inside, standing before the, high, the council and the high priest uh, uh, in the courtyard, and he's on fire, and he's proclaiming Jesus. So what was it that changed? Well, first, and perhaps maybe obvious, they spent time with the resurrected Jesus. Acts 4, verse 13, it says, Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, that's to say they were unschooled or untrained, they marveled. And they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. They were so ignorant convinced that jesus was the messiah they were so convinced right he was the one who had came to die for the sins of the entire world right and, and they're convinced of that fact but they're also convinced by the the personal time that they have spent with jesus that their speech and their conduct right and the, the evidence of this changed life of this man standing next to them, to them was enough for their accusers to realize that they had in fact been with jesus would people recognize that you've spent time with the risen one based upon your conduct, based upon your speech, based upon the evidence of a changed life? Second, they found their strength in the Holy Spirit. If you're face to face with the reality of persecution, Right, you're face to face with maybe even the possibility of death. Right, now is not the time to be mumbling your own impressions, right, your own thoughts. Right, being filled with the Holy Spirit is the default position for a humble, broken, selfless, weak believer in a very dire situation. Perhaps you found yourself there. It's where you just abandon all trust in yourself. It's when you're weak that what? You're strong. That's why God reminded Paul in 2 Corinthians. Right? He says, my, my grace is sufficient for thee, Paul. He says, My strength is made perfect in weakness. That's what Paul said most gladly. Therefore, I would rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in my infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distress for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. Yield yourself to the Holy Spirit. You understand the way that some of y'all drive, you don't know what yield means. And third, we need to boldly proclaim the gospel. I'm trying to think of a way to say this diplomatically. Perhaps I'll just be an ambassador. I can't help but to think all the time we've wasted building relationships instead of presenting Jesus. Jesus. guilty maybe guilty number 1 right when you experience the resurrected jesus when that knowledge of the sacrifice that god made for you on your behalf Right through Jesus when it begins to go from your head, the knowledge of it. Yes, I understand that Jesus came and he died on the cross, so what? When that goes from your head down into your heart and you get saved, when that realization that, listen, there's no other way that I can be right before God, void of Jesus Christ, void of a relationship with him, when that goes from here to here and you get saved, the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit immediately comes in and dwells inside of the believer. And as you begin to yield your life to that that spirit, he's now alive inside of you. You begin to find your strength and your purpose in him. And when that happens, the Holy Spirit's message is going to come out. And we know what that message is. Acts 4, verse 10. He says, Be it known unto you all and to all people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God has raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other name, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Do not compromise. Walk worthy of your ambassadorship. Be bold. Be bold. I close with one more passage. After Judas left to go and betray Jesus, Jesus shares this with his disciples. It's just the fellas, it's just the true believers now. We've weeded out the ones who are not true followers. Jesus shares this in John 15, beginning in verse 18. He says, If the world hate ye, you know that it hated me before it hated you. And if you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Remember the word that I said unto you, The servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. But all of these things they will do unto you for my name's sake, because they do not know him that sent me. If I had not come and spoken unto them, they had not had sin. But now they have no cloak for their sin. He that hateth me, hateth the Father also. If I had not done among them the works which none other man did, they had not had sin. But now have they both seen and hated both me and my father. But this cometh to pass, that the word might be fulfilled, that is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. But when the Comforter is come, whom I will send to you from the Father, even the spirit of truth which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me and ye shall bear witness because ye have been with me from the beginning. If I could just have um, all heads bow for a moment as we're getting ready to just head into a moment of reflection. If you're a believer, if you could just be praying If you're here and you say, Travis, if I'm honest, I've never, ever entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ. That knowledge of Jesus has yet to go from my head into my heart. Can I just tell you that God loves you? He sent Jesus Christ into this earth to die for your sins. Right? And the Bible says um, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. It's really as simple as that. It goes on to say, call upon the name of the Lord and thou shall be saved. That's all you have to do. If you've never, ever called upon the name of the Lord, you could just call out upon him. Don't worry about the right words to say. I believe if you come to him with a sincere and repentant heart, he will be faithful and just to hear you and to forgive you of your sins. But if you would say, Travis, I, honestly, man, I just, could you just help? I've never prayed. I've never called out upon the Lord. You could just say a real simple prayer right from your seat, right where you're at. You could just say, dear God, God, I realize that I'm a sinner. And God, right now, the best way that I know how, I ask you to come in and be Lord and Savior of my life. God, forgive me of my sins. God, I trust you. And I trust in Jesus. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Now, before any... Um, heads are bowed, or any heads are raised, anybody's looking around, if you prayed that prayer for the first time, right, if you became a Christian today, I wanna be able to just pray with you, I'm gonna be able to rejoice with you. The Bible tells us that there's rejoicing amongst the angels uh, over one sinner who repents. If you prayed that prayer, would you do me a favor, just real quick, just slip your hand up or look at me, just catch my eyes. If you became a Christian today for the first time, you say, I, I prayed that prayer, Travis, I meant it, I'm no longer playing church. Would you just look at me or raise your hand? Just catch my eyes. You know, maybe you're here and you say, Travis, honestly, I've not walked very worthy of my ambassadorship. In fact, I I don't really know what the opposite of boldness is. Maybe it's cowardice. If I'm honest, we've all been there before. You say, Travis, I've, I've not done a very good job at proclaiming Jesus Christ. As we have a time of reflection and and we just get ready to reflect upon the word for a minute or so, would you be brave enough just to pray where you're at for the boldness of the spirit to be able to proclaim Jesus? Jesus.